Hey, hey, oh, ooh, ah, yeah, ooh. Welcome to a frosty December edition of the Carl Landry Record Club music podcast from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I am Spike, that is Mootloo, and we are here for you to talk about a couple of albums that are good. Two good albums. This is Two a good mix albums. right here this week. This is a good yes, combo. Absolutely. The If you'd like to suggest an album, we do one from us and one from you every week. The goal is to uh, to share something you like or something you love with us, and we share it with you, and we listen, and we talk about it. If you want to suggest an album, you can do it in a number of ways. I would suggest the easiest way is just go to carlandrewrecordclub.com. There's a link there. There's a link under the Spotify player. You can leave it in the Apple Podcast Reviews. You can visit us on social, and there's a link in our bio right there. There's just, you can figure it out. You're not, you're not. Do you, I don't know if you remember this from listening to, I don't know if you're a, like a longtime podcast listener, but at the beginning, I'm trying to think, the first, I don't know, like three or four or even five years, we were doing the right Ricky Sanchez. At the beginning of the podcast, we would list all the places that you could get the podcast. We'd That's an like, antiquated thing at this yes. point, right? Now you just say yeah. where we get podcasts, right? Yeah, because the, the people understand that that's where they get podcasts is where they get podcasts. But we'd be like, you get us an Apple podcast and you can get us on Squadcast and you can get us on Pocket Cast and you can get us on Spotify. <laughs> and then I remember Spotify was a big deal. So, Well, I think at that fun. time it was a newer form. Yes. So yeah. I don't think people. When we started, it was. Yeah. When you guys were starting, it was new, relatively yeah. new. What, 2013, yeah. right? Was the. 2013 began? was when the Ricky started. Yeah. That's I kind started of the podcast, early days. podcasting before that, actually, but the Ricky started in 2013. So, all right. Two albums. It's Moots Week. His album is Anthony Hamilton's Ain't Nobody Worrying, which came out in 05. And if you look at the cover of this album, you will be stunned that this album came out in 05. <laughs> it's like a trick. It's like a trick. I saw it and I was like, I was like, oh, another 1977 album right. from Mood. But it's it got isn't. that classic 70s kind of album cover look to it, which yes. is why, one of the many reasons I love it. Yeah, of course. Listener album comes from Tony, Tony with an I. It is Cigarette After Sex self-titled debut LP, which came out in 2017. Tony says, this is a fun way to find a, I assume, uh, I assume Tony with an I is, I was going to say her, uh, Tony with an I is usually a her. So this is a fun way to d discover an album. I was scrolling through Ticketmaster the other day and I saw this band's name. What a great title, I thought to myself. When I turned on the music, I couldn't stop listening to it. The word euphoric describes their music. P.S. Thanks for the 100 Gex review. I saw them at the Caverns in Tennessee last month, and it was fantastic. I felt very out of place as a 30-year-old, which means, could you imagine how out of place you or I would feel at a 100 Gex show? <laughs> Probably the same. That's an amazing place. We played there with Amos, I guess, last really? year. Really? What's the size? What's the size? It's uh, probably like 1,500. Oh, I remember. It's underground, it's right? It's underground. Like, You're yeah. in a cave, and it's yes, unlike any the place. Photos. It's unlike any place I've ever played. Uh, it's hard to describe, but it has almost that sort of damp cave feeling to it. But it sounds amazing in there, and it's just—it's uh, a singular venue. It's an incredible place. Yeah, I remember seeing the photos when you two played there. So, and hundred Gex, by the way, the ten thousand Gex album is on. I've been—you know—we'll have to do our year-end episode with Jason and AU. Uh, in the coming few weeks, but I've been looking at everybody's, you know, top 50 album lists or whatever. And that album shows up on a lot of those lists. It is amazing. I look at these lists and I'm like, I'm a pretty up on music person compared to a normal person. I think, you know, I, I would say if a normal person is a five up on right current music, I would say I'm probably like an eight and a half or a nine. Like I, right. I talk about it. I look at these lists 
And I don't know any of these fucking albums, man. But but I don't know if you look at any of them, but the 100 Gex album is on just about, not every list, but almost every list I look at. It just at. speaks to how much music there is out there these days because, you know, um, even if you try to absorb everything, you would still just scratch the surface. Like, even if you want to go listen to a song, one song, Yes. By every new band that's putting out a record, you oh. still could only be scratching the surface. Yeah, I agree. I see those lists. I'm like, who's that? Who's that? I don't know who that yeah. is. I even who's looked at Steve Hyden's list. I was like, okay, Steve Hyden. We, we don't have similar tastes, but like our taste, we're the same exact age-ish. Our taste, I, I think we, we meet at a lot of middle points with what Steve Hyden likes and what I like. I looked at his list. I was like, nope, 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 nope. The two albums that I see on almost every list are the Mitski album and the 100 Gex album. And I feel like there's one more. That's as far as the uh, bands you actually recognize. That, recognize. that. By, by the way, that's it. Like Mitski, I have a, a casual, you know, uh, casual awareness of, have listened to a few songs, but that's it, you know. And 100 Gex, if I wasn't doing this podcast... Would not exist in my I world. I never would at have all. known. 100 Gex and the record was 10,000? 10, 10,000 Gex, yes. Right. We've not 100,000, 10,000. 10,000 Gex. I think so. Is it 10,000 Gex? I'm not sure. It's the numbers, know. the zeros kind of get convoluted after a while. Why don't we do Anthony Hamilton first and then we'll do cigarettes after sex? Right on. Now, uh, are you familiar with Anthony Hamilton? Not at all. I wasn't sure. I thought this was he was maybe an artist you might know because I he's he emerged more out of the two thousands, although he started yeah. in the '90s. So I know you're big into the '90s R and B. So yeah, I when when I saw when the album came out, when I looked at it on Spotify, because I, when I saw you, we text each other the albums, and when the album cover popped up, I assumed it was old. But then when I went and I saw it on Spotify, I was like oh five, and I figured. And then when I listened to it, I said, well, I should have been aware of this. I, I don't know how popular it was, but I should have been aware. But no, if I was at any point, I had forgotten. Well, I love this record, and he's one of my favorite singers. He has been for almost 20 years. I basically discovered him through this album, although I'd actually seen him perform before that without realizing he was, without knowing his own mm -hmm. music at the time. But we'll get into that in a second. But Anthony Hamilton and the album Ain't Nobody Were in 2005. He's a singer, songwriter, producer, originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, he started singing in the church, in his high school choir, church choir, and you hear the gospel influence in what he does, just the, the raw power, the passion, the emotion that comes through in his performances. You By hear the way, the that. lyrics, the lyrics as well, I think Absolutely. there's it's plenty in there. Yeah, and, and I love that. I love that gospel influence and the way he just channels so much emotion into every performance. He moved to New York City in the 90s and initially actually signed to Andre Harrell's Uptown Records, which was a pretty big label at the time. He recorded an album. They released a few singles, very common tale. The record got shelved. So you hear this with a lot of artists. You know, it's, sometimes it takes a few tries before they really can find their place in the industry. So he makes this record that was titled XTC, but it gets shelved. Aside from a few single releases, it gets shelved. He continued working. Now, I first saw him in 2000 when he was on tour with D'Angelo. 
because it's funny he, you mentioned D'Angelo because it was the first artist I thought of when it, like right. like 10 seconds into the first song, you know? Yeah, there's a strong musical connection there. Now, he was in the band for uh, D'Angelo's Voodoo Tour. And I remember seeing that show in Atlantic City and just being blown away by it. Uh, the band, incredible musicians and incredible vocals. And I remember seeing Anthony Hamilton sing with him. So that was my first introduction to him, although I didn't really know his music at the time. Now, his first bigger exposure came in 2002. He sang on the chorus of the Nappy Roots song, Poe Folks, which actually earned a Grammy Award nomination for Best Rap Song Collaboration. That that tune really helped to raise his profile. And then his second album overall, but really his first widespread release, dropped in 2003, a record called Coming Where I'm From. Another excellent album. If you like this one, I would maybe recommend going back to that one and then mm-hmm. moving forward through the catalog. That record ultimately went platinum, so he became a pretty big name in the world of R&B and soul music, uh, a great live performer. I've never actually seen him on his own. I would love to, but by all accounts, just even seeing him with D'Angelo, by all accounts, he's a phenomenal live performer and really started to establish himself with that record. Now, this record came out in late 2005, and this was really my introduction to him. This album also went gold, also had some considerable commercial success. Now, he's made five more albums since then. The Point of It All in 2008, Back to Love in 2011, Home for the Holidays in 2014, What I'm Feeling in 2016, and Love is the New Black in 2021. Now, alongside his own records, he's been prolific as a collaborator with other artists. And I think it really speaks to what a great singer he is because he can show up in any situation and bring something special to it. He's worked with everyone from Jada Kiss to Buddy Guy to Jill Scott to Nas to Gorillaz. Just keep going down those Al Green uh, he's worked with so many incredible artists. And in 2016, he was actually invited to perform at the White House. If you recall, President Barack Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama had this series that they did called In Performance at the White House. There were some incredible performances and videos that came out of those performances. This this was the last one they did, and it was a tribute to Ray Charles. And Anthony Hamilton was invited to take part in that. Obviously, a huge honor. He's been nominated for a good number of Grammy Awards over the years uh, for a number of different records and for some of his collaborations. And I mentioned Al Green. In 2009, he won the Grammy Award for Best Traditional R&B Performance for You've Got the Love I Need. It was a collaboration with him and Al Green. Now, on this record, I, you know, I, I, I was mentioning it's he's prolific as a collaborator, and I think that's showcased in this album because he had an incredible mix of producers and writers and musicians that he worked with on this album. Questlove, James Poyser, Rafael Sadiq, Mark Batson, Andre Harris, Vidal Davis. Strong Philly connection there. Those Several of those guys are, are Philly guys. So I'll start with the, my favorite song from this record, kind of working backwards. Okay, I I worry that this is a record that this one and the other one are going to be a record that we are specifically aligned on with the songs. We'll see what happens, but I I have a grave concern with these <laughs> with these two records. Actually. Well, doesn't that doesn't that happen seventy five percent of the time? Anyway, it, it happens <laughs> a lot of the time, and as you can see it. I can see it on your face when I mention an album that you're like fuck. <laughs> because, but, but, but let's, let's see, let's see. I have three songs noted from this album, but let's see. So a lot of times I like to start with the lead song because I think 
that is a huge part of any great record is that intro, intro song. But I'm going to do the opposite of that. I'm going to go okay. towards the end this time. Okay, okay. And so maybe that'll not maybe be what we'll you're see. thinking. We'll see. My favorite song on this record is the third to last song, a song called Change Your World. And falling in love, there's no blame when it's all said and done. And I never knew about this thing Cause there were no Not on my list. Oh. Okay, good, good. Woo-hoo. There you go. Yeah. The, uh, so that's a tune that he wrote with James Poyser and Questlove, and James Poyser and Questlove produced it. Classic Philly sound, but updated with a more contemporary production aesthetic, especially in Questlove's drums. To me, a track like this does what the best Philly soul music does. It finds that sweet spot of the gritty, emotional performance, but with a very smooth delivery and a very smooth uh, you know, lush sound. I, that's what I think is the magic of Philly Souls, though, is a combination of those elements. If you really want to get to the core DNA of what makes those records so special, and they they channel that. That's a signature of the Philly sound. Beautiful string arrangement on this track. I love the string arrangement on this track. And what a lot of the best string arrangements do, especially in the context of, of Philly Soul music, is yes, they're a, they're a part of the track and they fill out the track and they give this lush sort of arrangement as an underpinning, but they also a lot of times tend to serve as a counter melody to the lead vocal. And you hear that on this one where there are points in the verse and then on the chorus where the string line will in a sense, answer the lead vocal or just whatever's happening vocally. And this really nice counter melody counterpoint thing that happens. Incredibly satisfying arc to this song. You get the more spacious sound on the verses and then builds and builds up to the fuller sound of the choruses. And then towards the end of the tune, there's a whole new musical idea that's introduced. It's sort of a bridge outro section. Gives us extra, extra lift and dimension to the song. You hear these new horn lines that come in, new background vocals, and it gives Anthony Hamilton a place to really stretch out and really cut loose at the end of the tune. I also think this song just showcases his range as a singer. How even in the context of one song, he can go from being incredibly smooth and laid back like he is on the verses to towards the end transitioning into this raw or more emotional thing. And it feels seamless. It's just, it's all in his wheelhouse and it's part of what makes him special. There's a very dynamic lift to a lot of his performances as there is on this song. Another highlight I'll mention. Just real quick, something that you mentioned there and you'll, you'll probably mention this song, but I'm not going to mention the song, but it was something I had noted in a different song, but that you noted in this song is there is an overall sort of throwback vibe to all of the music, but there are, there are, there's no way you could listen to it and not know that it's contemporary because of the little dashes in production they do that definitely feel contemporary. And it's an interesting combination of the two. It's, uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to the song eventually, but you, you're listening to it and you're like, ah, oh, this is, it definitely has a throwback vibe, but there are definitely modern production elements in almost every song that that let you know that you're listening to something current and not something old. That's such a great point. That's one of the things I love about this album is there are records, and you hear this with a lot of soul music, even records that have come out in the last few years, where there's a distinction there. You can make a record that sounds retro, Mm-hmm. that actually tries to channel those production techniques from the 70s mm-hmm. and tries to recreate that sound. You hear artists that do that very, very well. This is not that. No. This has one foot in that era, 
like for example on on Change Your World, that's I mean you hear it right away. The Philly sound is just right there. Of course, James Poyser and Questlove. I mean, you know that's second nature to them. Yeah. But but as you mentioned, it's some there's something in the way it's tracked and the way the rhythm tracks sound that makes it feel very contemporary. So it doesn't feel like a retro. If it doesn't feel throwback in its actual production. It, the throwback thing comes, I think, more from the sensibility of some of the songs or yeah. some of the arrangements. But uh, that's, I think, what makes it what makes it an excellent album is it doesn't it doesn't feel like just a nostalgia trip. It feels like something fresh and and new. Absolutely. One other, a uh, couple other things I'll mention that I'm curious how many of these overlap. The title track, "Ain't Nobody Worrying." Ain't nobody worrying when the shots fly high and the sirens start to ring. Ain't nobody worrying when the kids die young and the mothers are suffering. Ain't nobody praying when they kneel down low. All they're doing is dying to shoot strings. Ain't nobody worrying no more, no more, no more, no more. The homeless have nowhere to turn. Was that one? Oh, wow. Wow. Ooh. All right, there we go. Two for two for so far. Yeah. This tune to me, I love it because it's a powerful social commentary basically looking at the often callous indifference that mainstream America has towards the struggles uh, and hardships of people living in the inner city. That's really what the song is about. And it gets right to the heart of that subject. There's so many great lines in this tune, but I'll take a few of the lines from the second full verse. He says, these are our precious times, disease taking lives, Medicaid ran out, show me a weapon line. There's a mother on the phone trying to beat the drought. Tell me when will this end? All the suffering, my faith is running low. Ain't nobody worrying no more. And that's the title track of the record. Just, just that powerful commentary that I think I love when a song can, you know, take you into a place, into a perspective that you might not otherwise get in this way. You know, it's a perfect delivery system to, yeah, make you feel the groove and and what's happening musically, but then to get you thinking. And I just thought that think the commentary in that song about again, there's this indifference towards what is happening in the inner city and that's what he's commenting on and you can feel that it just there's a great sense of emotion in this performance as is the case with all of his tracks but this one is a little different uh, quite different than change your world in that it's a little more of a rhythmic uh sort of vocal delivery on this Mm -hmm. one and uh musically the track is phenomenal too he co-wrote the song with rafael sadiq and glenn stanridge and robert ozuna jr now glenn stanridge and robert ozuna jr collectively go as the songwriting and production duo Jake and the Fat Man. Hmm. Uh, however, they, I think, wasn't there a TV, that was a TV show. It I was think, a right? TV show. So yep. they took the name, <laughs> they took their production. TV show, I believe. Yeah. It feels like a 1982 or 1983 TV show. I, I feel like I remember watching that show. Let's see. Jake and the Fat Man, 1987. 87, yeah. okay. And 80s, it ran though. for five years. So there you go. 80s, early 90s. Mid-late yeah. 80s. Early. Yeah. So Rafael Sadiq and the production team of Jake and the Fat Man co-wrote this tune and produced it uh, with Anthony Hamilton. As again, powerful lyrical commentary, social commentary. But the track itself also, I think, gives the perfect backdrop for that. This deep, sparse, syncopated groove. It gives him all the space in the world. That's one thing I, I hear throughout this record is it's not overproduced. Uh, no, no, there are no, some, no, not at all. There are some moments where there's a lot happening musically, but it's always about clearing the space out for him to do his thing. And especially a song like this, where there's a very important lyrical message being delivered. It just gives him all the room to communicate that message. Again, there's this rhythmic emotional intensity in his delivery on this one. 
one other tune I'll mention. Let's see. Let's see if this one overlap. Never love again. In my heart, it was the feeling. I was in love. You act as if you never knew my name. How could you pleasure putting me through so much pain? Like a child in the womb, I needed you. No, zero for three. Wow. Okay, that's wow. great. Zero for that's three. That's actually kind of rare. That's actually yeah. kind of rare. That, that, that feels like the first time in a long time, actually. Man. So Never Love Again uh, is the second to last tune. Comes right after Change World. It's also towards the end. Tim, this showcases uh, his falsetto, and he has an excellent falsetto. He has a little more of a, a gritty baritone kind of vase, uh, uh, voice at his core, but he has such a range that he has an excellent falsetto as well. You get this sparse, uh, smooth kind of keyboard-driven track. And again, once again, not overproduced, plenty of space for him to just do his thing vocally. And I think it's a song that documents something very relatable that everyone can relate to in that that feeling of heartbreak, you know, at the end of a, of a, a breakup in a relationship, that feeling of hopelessness that comes uh, with that initial heartbreak. And there's a few lines that really just really the chorus line just say it all. How could I ever love again? How could I start to love again? After you broke me down, it's hard to trust that feeling. You know, it's you feel like you'll never find that connection again. So lyrically, that's one other thing I'll say throughout this tune, Change Your World, uh, especially on the title track that we just mentioned, but also this one, lyrically, it's an excellent album. I, uh, you know, you get, into his vo- you get into his vocals, obviously, he's a great singer. You get into what's happening musically, but there's a lot there to unpack lyrically too, which I think the best albums, that's what'll keep you coming back more and more and more. Is that there's always something more to take from it. And uh, this one is, again, it's a... It's a tune that's a relatable concept, but the way he presents it is distinctive. And I just think, uh, you know, as far as R&B and soul singers who've emerged in the last 25 years, I think he's one of the very best. And I'm not sure if he's crossed over as much into the mainstream pop world, but I think anyone who knows and loves soul music knows Anthony Hamilton. And this is just a great, this is a great place to start. Again, if you enjoy this, I would check out the whole catalog, maybe go back to the first record and then kind of go from there. Interesting little fact on something you said there. My wife hates falsetto. Really? Doesn't like any song with falsetto. And I enjoy falsetto. And our 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 mutual friend Amos Lee uh, has this song. Uh, he does falsetto a lot, and has uh, a, he's got a great falsetto a, voice. Great falsetto. And he sent me a newer mix of that a song, Madison. That is a song of his. Oh, that I love that one. Yeah, yeah, which he's done live for years, but has never really been on a record or anything. And that it's. The, the the mix of it is amazing like it's awesome and i wanted to share it with somebody but i like i can't send it to anybody or whatever right yeah you gotta keep so, it on the wraps for now <laughs> yeah so but i i'm like hey Amos wouldn't care if i played it for val and then i went to go play it for val and i was like oh she's not gonna like this at all because it's the it's the it's falsetto and she's not gonna like it so. and that song is is uh Pretty much wall to wall falsetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's such a beautiful melody. I've been he's been playing that at shows for a long time. A long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an it's not a new song. The song's been like if you're a fan that's seen him in at shows, you I'm sure you've heard it. But but yeah, but it's but she hates falsetto. I remember before I played it for her, I didn't I didn't want to get a bad reaction. I only want to play it for somebody who's going to give me the reaction I want on this one. Well, I'm the polar opposite of that. I love the falsetto side because Prince. I mean, so I take it she's probably not a Prince fan. 
She, Prince has tons of falsetto. A ton of falsetto. I, I've never, now the final song played at our wedding was Purple Rain, but that was But there my, he's in his- uh, Yeah, and that was in my his choice. baritone range. Not her choice, my choice. And not only was it my choice, I told our band, they, they were great, our band was great. And I was like, I want the final song of the night to be Purple Rain. I said, but the full Purple Rain with the entire guard Like 10 minutes solo. long. At the end, yeah, it's like eight. Yeah, and they were they were like they they were overjoyed that that's what I wanted that I wanted the the full one, and they did it. They did the full one. To so. me, that's the drama of that song. You need the yes. full. I yes. guess there is a radio edit, isn't there? Which there I've is. heard. I think. Yeah, but the song is incomplete without the the song is a statement. Like the the song needs to be in its full its full version because it's it's not written like a you know a, a typical pop song otherwise the song the song feels incomplete without the the climax at the you end you need the it. guitar heroics yes, in that in 100%, that song. 100%, 100% there's a song prince has called pink cashmere Which has a very different song than Purple Rain, but has that same epic sweeping guitar solo thing that he does. It's very specific. To, I mean, you've heard that kind of thing before, but there's a way that Prince does that, that you hear on Purple Rain and Pink Cashmere and some of these other songs that I just think is very singular. Like, you it's know, funny. it's his thing, you know? We've had this debate on uh, Rights Ricky Sanchez recently. It was just something I thought about in the morning one day, and it made me laugh. And then I asked it on the podcast, and it's now been a three-podcast debate and listeners <laughs> calling in and blah, blah, blah. But I woke up one morning, and I was like, what would you rather do? Be able to dunk a basketball easily or play a sick guitar solo on demand? And Ooh. right. So it's a good question. Yeah. So the the debate has gotten, I didn't even want it to be a debate. The reason I thought it was a good question is because I thought it was hard, you know, and it was just preference, but it's become a debate now. So this guy sends me an email and his headline was, he was like, look, I'm a black guy. He goes, I think the reason that so many people are saying guitar here is because they are not taking it into account the, the black perspective on this. He was like, black people determine what's cool. He was like, dunking a basketball is cooler than, and I was like, no, all due respect, my friend. I said, Prince, Jimi Hendrix, B.B. King, Vernon yeah. Reed, a Slash, who is half black. I was I, do not, do not do this to me. I said, Absolutely, I will take your opinion into account, but there are tons and tons and tons of of super fucking cool black guitar players. So please. Also, I think it depends on, uh, you know, like the if you love the classic rock sound, you know, yes. kind of depends on what your musical where your musical taste lies too. Because I could see how someone would say dunking a basketball because sure. it's actually here's a, here's a sub question. Yeah. Is it rarer to be able to dunk a basketball than it is to play a face-melting Prince-like solo? I, so mm. I don't know. I, I know a lot of people are saying that are on the pro-dunk side, they're like, look, anyone can do a sick guitar solo if they just practice enough. And I was like, okay, you're really dumbing this down. Did you understand how much practice you're talking about? And there are some people who can practice their whole lives and just not be able to pick it up. So, and... I could just in turn tell you there are tons of people who can dunk a basketball who have no basketball skill whatsoever. They just happen to be tall. So right. 
yes, there are some people who are, you know, maybe sub, I think sub six feet, you could say there are plenty of people who could practice all they want and never be able to dunk a basketball. But, you know, if you read, if you read interviews with the greats about how much they play, you know, Tom Morello says that he was, you know, when he first started, he was playing 10 hours a day, you know, to be able to do what he does. Well, there's also, there's something there that of, okay, there's one thing to play the notes and play a lot of notes. Yes. There's another thing to play with emotion. You mentioned B.B. King. B.B. King didn't play busy solos, but every note made you feel something. Yes. Because it was always, for him, it was always an extension of what he was singing. Yes. I remember seeing an interview with him where he would rarely sing and play together. Yeah. Because he saw it as one fluid thing. So, I don't know. I used to have dunk dreams. I don't know if this, I used to have dreams that where I could dunk. Oh, really? And then, you know, back years ago, not anymore, but when I used to play hoops more, and it would be, I would be so disappointed when I woke up and realized <laughs> that you could you'll dunk. never dunk. <laughs> I even got those shoes. Remember those shoes that like, supposed oh, to help strengthen you, your, yeah, your, help you jump like higher. the big heels or whatever, like the, yeah. Big scam. If you're ever yeah. thinking about buying those <laughs> shoes, don't buy them. Uh, Back to Anthony Hamilton. So Can't Let Go is the opening song on the album. And no one has the right to tear my love No matter what the people say, no I love you anyway. You are my life. I can't let go. Even if we fuss a fight, try to get it right. You are my life. I can't let go. And I think there's something I was, I was saying about the combination of sort of old school influence, but modern production. And as soon as the, the, the beat itself kicks in for this album is, is the moment that you know you're listening to modern production. It's a very late 90s, early 2000s sort of, uh, sort of beat. But I think it's a really... And it's got like that throwback with the organ, but the I, I think the overall production of it is very, very, uh, very current. And the the chorus itself on this is enormous, where his voice gets sort of you know doubled or tripled or whatever. But then there's a a like a, a, a choir that also sings along with him. That you were you were mentioning some of the gospel and gospel influences there but i think it's an it's an awesome introduction into the into the album everybody is awesome just sort of comes out of nowhere with this reggae beat right that, that, <laughs> that's kind of an unexpected uh turn yeah. on the, on the yeah. album but i do feel like this is a song and you find this with a lot of gospel sort of influence which i i don't know that you hear here but it's a very joyous song and the chorus is it's got an awesome hooky chorus everyone needs a little love in their life which is just sort of feels like a, a big sing-along chorus that that actually is something that i think is missing from a lot of reggae music is a, a great hook. You know, reggae music is a vibe usually without a hook, but this is a vibe and a hook, which I liked a lot. And I think it also depends on, 
you know, because if you think of like dub, it's all about distilling the beat. Yeah. So, uh, but if you think of someone like Marley or uh, Peter Tosh or yep. Steel Pulse or some of those, then there is a higher premium on the hooks. But I hear what uh, you're saying. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times it, it is about just the groove. But uh, yeah, that song. I think is also perfectly placed on the album. Yes. Uh, you know, if you're taking this as an overall album experience, it, it comes in at like the perfect moment. I feel like he took great time and care. I don't know if you took the, took this away from it, but in, in the sequencing of this album, because I think when you hear it as a whole, it just keeps you engaged all the way through. And sometimes that is obviously about the material first and foremost, but something about the way it flows, I don't know, it's very satisfying. And then last song I wanted to mention is Pass Me Over, which is... Oh, yeah, that's... King of eternal peace Lay your burdens down If you catch me dreaming Talk about the gospel thing there. That too. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the 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 gospel thing, even lyrically in the chorus, has a, a definite gospel and you know God uh, God you know thing. I love the piano that sort of gets introduced right around the bridge of the album, which I think gives a lot of texture to it, and it does have a lot of I think. 90s late 90s r&b feel to it it's, it's a, a pretty straight ahead i think one of the most straight ahead current sounding songs on the album current in 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 that when it was released and i think it's got the best chorus on the album as well oh amazing chorus and i would say if there's so many ways if someone didn't know anthony hamilton you had to say pick one song you could be very happy in making that choice and say yeah hey, for sure check this out because it showcases what he does. You said lyrically, that gospel mm-hmm. influence, but it also showcases what he does as a singer. Yeah. Uh, the way he can, there's just, just such an arc to all his performances. I always think about that, you know, there's a certain drama in being a singer. Like, it doesn't yeah. matter what the material is. It's like, can you make it feel dramatic for the yeah. listener and, and not feel static? Because there's some great singers who somehow don't necessarily bring that drama. He brings that emotional thing to every performance that's maybe more than any song on the record that's maybe the perfect example of how he does that next album listener album which came from tony cigarettes after sex it's so sweet Stunner for me as <laughs> I listened to the album three times this week. And then this morning, got up at 7 a.m., started to, I hadn't done any digging, started to do all my biographical stuff and stunned to find out that the singer's name is Greg. That right, it's right. a guy. I, I just, I, I, I had, and, and there's no, like, I, I don't want this to go across. There's no, you look at him, he's just a Greg. Like he's just, a, there's, 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 there's no, trans thing or it's just a guy that sings in a very sort of way that I, th- I thought it was a woman. I really did. And it, it, it was very, very strange to read 
that it was a project from were you aware of this I was see I was see I was aware because okay. Delia is a big fan of this band oh, so I heard she okay. she had played me the tune Apocalypse a while ago got the music Okay. And then I'd listen to this record with her. So I had a little more of a okay. sense of this band. And one of those bands that until she introduced me to them would have been a band that I would have said, oh, I've no, I've never heard of this. Band. Never heard. And, and yeah. you look at their tour schedule and they headline and sell out big places. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which and I, by again, the way, on, I never would have heard. On an independent record label, as far as I can tell, and, and not even like a, a very big a very big catalog, two albums and an EP is, is all they've ever released. But it's just, I, I read it. I'm like, Craig Gonzalez, am I, is this the right band or whatever? And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's a, 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 just the way he sings, I think. And I think the other thing is, and we'll get into the music, but the style of music I associate with female vocalists, it reminded me. I've been. I discovered Lana Del Rey a few weeks ago. Out of I'd never listened to Lana Del Rey before, and I'm obsessed. But fits in that pocket. Reminded me of Mazzy Star. That's who from I was going to say. Mazzy okay. Star, even when I first, I remember when Delia first played some of these tracks for me, was, I was like, oh, you know, yeah, Mazzy, Mazzy Star. Star, who I love. So it was right yes. away, you right away see a thread between something from the past and something contemporary. Yep. Although this band really, to me, doesn't sound like anyone because no. of his vocals. Yeah. But also there's something more to it, I think. It's just, there's, it's a, how it all comes together is very distinctive. So Greg Gonzalez started recording music with this, uh, this sort of under this name, cigarettes after sex, or or or, or writing music and recording it in 08. And the the name came from Greg Gonzalez says, I was dating this girl and she got me into smoking after we were together. I love sharing that moment with her. Then one night we were smoking <laughs> together and the name flashed in my mind. It's Wait, I, I gotta I gotta so he met this girl and she got him into smoking? Smoking after sex. Oh, just only then or smoking yes. in general? No, he said, got me into smoking after we were together. I think I think he is using we're together as uh, a okay. euphemism for having sex, I believe. Is, okay. Is that's, so. Because just being introduced to smoking is not the best thing, probably not the most, no, you know, no. the best thing to walk away from a relationship. With. Yes, yeah. But, but there's more of yep. a context than that. I mean, look, I'm just going to say it does look cool. I've said this a million right, times. Right, smoking on a cool person. I I have I have a lot of T-shirts. I I got into a phase where I loved photos of famous people looking cool smoking. So I have a lot of T-shirts of people smoking and looking cool, from you know James Dean to Angelina Jolie and Kate Moss. <laughs> you can look pretty cool smoking a cigarette, but it's not good for you. It's not good for you. He states his influences. Uh, this is not stating, but I was reading an interview with him. Aphex Twin. 
Francois Hardy, Miles Davis, Red House Painters, and Eric Satie. I didn't recognize, Aphex Twin, I know, Miles Davis, obviously, I know the other ones, I didn't know. He says, um, it feels like you're in space, he said, going back to my influences, like on Aphex Twin's Ambient Works too. it feels like you're in space, like you're actually in a landscape, and I wanted that sense too. It makes you feel like you're somewhere, like you're like there's this depth of place in the songs. He puts out the first his first EP called I in 2012. Thought it was interesting and I couldn't find more on it. There was only one mention in one article of it that he and the the musicians that he recorded with recorded the entire EP in a four-story staircase, which interesting. which is interesting and it does provide that sort of you know um, in a basement with 6 inches of water underneath sort of dungeon sound to it, you know, that echoey, spacious sort of sound to the music. And I can imagine in a big, you know, cement staircase sort of getting that effect as well. It's interesting because I always wonder, that's that's enlightening to me because I always wonder with a record like this, how much of the sound is coming from just a very specific production technique or is it actually the space that it's recording because my morning jacket does that they have this mm. this uh i guess it's a silo and he would like i don't know if he's done all his records there but jim james would sing in this thing that gave this natural reverb this basically yeah. big tower you know and i wonder sometimes about because this sound is so distinctive like is it actually the environment in which they're recording how much of it is that how much of it is just the engineering and the mixing i'm always that's a gray area there but i'm always intrigued to hear that that's very illuminating in the sense that I haven't at heard least a lot for of that EP. Like yeah, yeah maybe they're not EP. still doing it now. Yeah. They maybe got the sound from that, maybe. Yeah. So he describes the music. He says, we make hazy romantic ballads, kind of like erotic lullabies. A lot of the songs talk really frankly about sex. It's quite blunt. A lot of it re relates to sex and love, the two being intermingled in the music. It's about not being afraid to talk about sex and love because to me, a very, a very honest part of love was sex. And he said that every song he records is about person, the story, and it all is sort of like deeply, deeply personal. In 2015, it became the three piece that it's now with Jacob Tomsky and Randall Miller. And then they recorded the song, The Affection. Also, it's not on this album, but they covered REO Speedwagon's Keep On Loving You. You play which is excellent. It's on Spotify. You should listen to it. It's I would really not good. have guessed that cover uh, for, for them. Yeah, it's a cool cover. It's definitely in their style. They definitely make it their own. And they build a following. YouTube played a, a part in that, ended up playing Pitchfork in a lot of festivals, did a lot of touring in Europe, in the US, and then released this debut album in 2017 on Partisan Records. It, unsurprisingly, Greg Gonzalez is listed as the producer on it. And as I mentioned, it put me in the same place in some ways as Lana Del Rey, it puts me in the same place, of course, as Mazzy Star, which we talked about. I think on some level, even though the songs are not quite as poppy and 
massive. I think Adele to a certain extent, I think you can hear some of that in, in that sort of spacious longing echoey thing. Um, I think it's an absolutely awesome album. The opening track, Don't Let Me Go. One of the things that happens a lot in this album and in this specific song as well is that the instrumentation almost completely disappears, not not completely, but really gets toned down when he starts singing and his voice becomes the focal point of everything that's happening in the music. Did you notice that? I love that. And that's, uh, yeah, it's one of the notes I had here is that that is a certain device that's used yeah. and in a way it actually makes the moments when the music picks up again feel like such a big payoff. Yes. Because you'll and, get and, that very intimate thing from him vocally on the verse, and then yep. it expands, and it's like, whoa. It's, it's, it's a great arrangement dynamic they have pretty much throughout. Yeah, and that I had that you know noted for the song. Then when the chorus comes, the music returns, and it's big. And there's one thing that is, is particular in Mazzy Star is the use, the little use of a tambourine in there, which is you know, that Mazzy Star debut album, So Tonight That I Might See, is is all over that album and is in, incredibly signature to that album. And there's, a there's you know, there's so many bands that you see have a tambourine on stage, but it's never pronounced in the music. You never really hear it in, in, the, in the recorded album, but this album, I thought it was really important. And the, the by the way, the lyrics do feel deeply personal the entire album. He says, when I was young, I thought the world of you. I was dumb to let you drift away. And though I guess it had to come to an end, no one else could, could, no one else could have the love we shared, which is not, is not rocket science by any by any means, but does the way that the song is delivered and written feels personal. Yeah, I think I wouldn't have, I guess I already knew the music somewhat, but now it makes sense that there's a very specific concept yes. behind what they're doing. I guess this is really his project. I mean, he has yes. a band, I, yeah. I assume, but it's really Greg Gonzalez's project. He's yeah. kind of the musical mastermind. It's interesting. That also gets me thinking about the music because Okay, there's a lyrical concept there. There's mm-hmm. also a a musical concept there. Yes, that's pretty consistent. You know. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's definitely cohesive. You know, and there's a there's a a thing that he is doing in every song that that there's something that all of the songs share. I don't think all of the songs are exactly the same, but there is definitely a sort of system that he is following with all the songs. Now, we had made this. There's a song called Heavenly. Touch me with a kiss Feel me on your lips Cause this is where I wanna be Where it's so sweet has the a very strong shoegaze element to it, especially in the instrumentation, especially in the beginning. Um, and then again, 
his 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 voice becomes the star in the in the verse, but then the chorus almost has like a Beach Boys kind of thing to it that I I thought was interesting that that hits you 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 can't you can't really like pin it down right away, but it's there. It's definitely there. Yeah, I think there's a. Uh... There's an ethereal quality that the, some of the Beach Boys production and vocals would have, and you do mm-hmm. hear elements of that uh, at times in, in this one. And I think also, once again, that it's something within the performance, but it's also the quality of the recording. Mm-hmm. I would just love to be a fly on the wall to see how is he making these yeah. records. Yeah. Like, is it just him? Is it just yeah. him? Or are they recording it together? Or Because uh, it sounds like played, but... Sometimes that can be deceptive because it could also just be layering and stacking. You know? Well, that first EP was recorded like live, was recorded with all of them playing in that in that staircase. Now, I don't know if this was, but I know that he did that then. Um, and then the last song I'll note is Falling in Love, which is was written about his, his girlfriend at the time. I could hear the waves As I heard you say All that I want to be yours Falling in love Falling in love Deeper than I've Felt it before with you uh, But was written about them being able to keep their relationship strong when it was long distance and they there there are so many there are so many lyrical nods to that in the album he says um uh, when i hold you close to me i could always see a house by the ocean last night i could hear the waves as i heard you say all that i want is to be yours and then another time he says back when you were far away we would go on dates to watch the same movie and you were imagining sitting next to me holding my hand for the whole thing which i can imagine by the way like the idea of of having this long t- this, this long distance relationship and watching something at the same time but not being together and it's a it's a really beautiful song i think yeah that you spoke to something there about the lyric writing and there is a thing we've talked about with other songwriters is the showing it not telling it there's a very yeah. uh visual component i think to the to a lot of the lyrics in this song like the song K, again, kind of has that atmospheric, ethereal sensibility. One thing that I hear throughout on that one and others is just a great melodic guitar lines. Yeah. That's a big part of this. Like the guitar is, yes, it's a rhythm thing, but it's also a very strong melodic component to a lot of the, to much of the record. And then the lyrics on that one uh, that have that sort of visual component. Yeah. Right out of, I think this is in the second verse. And on the lower east side, you're dancing with me now, and I'm taking pictures of you with flowers on the wall. Think I like you best when you're dressed in black from head to toe. Think I like you best when you're just with me and no one else. Almost every song has some sort of scene that it creates. Yeah. Like the, like the one you were just talking about. It's just, uh, I love that when you absorb the lyric and it immediately makes you think of a place or yeah. it tries to give you a visual. And I think that's another element of this that maybe when you first hear it, you're more absorbed by just what's happening musically. But if you live with the record, that's a big part of uh, of what they do. And by the way, the the visual aesthetic of the band matches the 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 audio aesthetic. I was just like on their website looking at their merch, and everything's very dark and black and very. Uh, very Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever. <laughs> like it's it's a it's a 
it's a a very particular, very specific vibe and and you know uh, aesthetic that the the band is creating from a visual standpoint and from an audio standpoint as well. It all feels very purposeful in the best yeah. way possible. Apocalypse. That was a song that I that first introduced me to them. You hear a song like that and. It, it walks this line of being both eerie and soothing at the same time. There's a little bit yeah. of an eeriness there, but uh, that song to me is maybe the strongest hook or one of the strongest hooks on the record. Cause not every song has, feels like it has a big hook. You know, it, it doesn't, no. yeah. the choruses here don't feel like they're big payoffs like we, in other records, you know, but, but there's a great melodic sense in it. And even though it's not necessarily the standard ramp up, because that's just not the style of music. This hook to me is very strong. And then some of the lyrics on that one, and it's it's exactly what you talked about. The first thing you hear, everything peels away. And he just says, you leapt from crumbling bridges, watching cityscapes turn to dust, filming helicopters crashing in the ocean from way above. I mean, some of the, uh, the uh, images are kind of grandiose like that. But that aesthetic of always kind of giving you his voice as the initial thing that you get and then building from there. I just it's 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 endlessly satisfying to me, even though it's kind of predictable. Yeah. After after a little while, it's kind of part of the the general approach. It just it just kind of works. But there is something good about something being predictable. Like there's something as as you know from as somebody who can appreciate songs, there is, like songwriting. There is a satisfaction to knowing knowing when the bridge starts that you know what's happening with the chorus and then the chorus delivering on what you expected from it, even if it doesn't sound exactly the way that you thought it did. I think sometimes when you're listening to songs, there's, there's like payoffs. You, you want it, you, you sort of, especially if you, if it's good, them, the predictability is part of the, the, um, part of what's good about it. That's a big part, part of pop songwriting, right? Yeah. If you, especially if you follow a more traditional form, yeah. That's actually what the listener wants. Yes. They want yeah. that big bridge to come after the second chorus and you, or you want like a great pre-chorus that ramps up in the I mean there are certain things that people expect mm-hmm. in a certain context. Although this album does that in a way that's very much its own. Like I, I wrote here it said there's not much variance overall between the songs uh, as far as the tempo, the rhythm, the moods, but that's actually what makes it great. Yeah, that's yep. what makes it, it 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 as an overall album experience. It's like it, there's a hypnotic quality to this. A hundred percent. If you just yeah. put the headphones on, you kind of lose yourself in this mood, and stay in this sort of place, you know. And and we have to say, I think he has one of the most distinctive voices in the world of indie rock that I've heard. I mean, it's crazy. No one sounds yeah. like him. He's no, completely no. unique. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not, not it's, it's, it's not, not just, just like the, the phrasing and everything either. It's like the yeah. timbre, but the phrasing and all that too, you know? And it's, when I said, I, I thought it was a female voice. It's not just like it's high, like Getty Lee is or something. That's, that's not what it is. It is, there is even like the, the texture of the voice is what, what you're trying to say is very, very, very singular and, and interesting. I would love to see them. It does seem like they tore a good bit. Um, I would love to see them. I, I bought a t-shirt this morning, but really just, uh, I haven't listened to the other album, but really awesome, awesome record. Yeah. And again, was this a band you would have had any no. re- frame of reference to or yes? No, a great band name though. Cigarettes After Sex is an Excellent band name, ten out of ten. No notes. Isn't that how uh, the the listener who yeah uh, Tony yeah, was scrolling right? through Ticketmaster and, and was like, "What's this?" Came across. Uh, I love that. See, sometimes yeah. you got to just do something arbitrary to find something great. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. It, remember, if you want to suggest an album to us, do it in the, any of the number of ways or just look in the, the notes of this podcast. That's what I'm going to start saying. Look in the notes of this specific episode. I'm going to shorten the way that I say it. Until then, we will talk to you next time. Stay free, my goose. Mm. Mm-hmm.